2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Let me make sure you understand what that is saying. The Bible said that God's plan was that Jesus Christ would be made to be sin for us. Not that he was made to commit sin, but he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. So that lets me know that even though Jesus Christ never committed sin, he was identified as sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin. So those of us who know no righteousness could become righteous in him. And today for a few moments, I want to speak on the subject that the Lord has laid on my heart for this week, and that is the born again identity. The born again identity. How many believe that you have a new identity when you're born again into the family of God? Do you really believe that? As the scripture said, old things are passed away, all things are become new. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your mercy and kindness and blessings. And on this beautiful, hot August day, We're gathered together to lift you up and to let your will be accomplished. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd move and stir and work in this place and let your glory be manifest, and we promise to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you promise to help me preach, put your hands together and let's praise Jesus while you're seated. Amen. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about identity, our identity and our new identity in Jesus Christ. And one thing I've learned in studying adolescents and teenagers specifically is that the period of adolescence is a real tumultuous time in part because young people are discovering who they are as a distinct individual from their parents. As a child, they're simply identified with their family. But through adolescence, they are determining and deciding and finding out who it is that they are. That's why in the ages of junior high and then in high school, it's a time where you begin to see a little bit of tension between parents and young people. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about here. Because for so long, the parents have been the protector. The parents have made sure that they didn't wander too far. The parents had made sure that the identity would be wrapped up in the family. And all of a sudden, the young person says, 
understands that a part of maturing is a part of deciding and finding out who it is that I am. And the identity is critically important. And I remember when I was in high school, people would begin to break off into groups or cliques or subsets that were identified based on style or part of town that they were from or socioeconomic group or the way that they would dress or the kind of music that they would listen to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you would have the north side preppies that wore the preppy clothes, the khaki pants, the polo shirts, or the Izod shirts with the alligators. Remember that? And the, and the, and the uh, uh, neatly combed floppy hair. And then there was the south side hoods that wore the denim jackets and the rolled up jeans and the mullet with a party in the back. You know what I'm saying? And business in the front. And, uh, uh, and then there was uh, the, the music genre identities. There were the country folk that drove their big tr pickup trucks. And after school, you didn't want to mess with them because they had guns hanging in the rack on the back window of their truck. I'm not from California, I'm from Tennessee, so it's a little bit different here. A country boy can survive now. And uh, they had pickup trucks with big tires that were way lifted up off the ground. And then, and then we had the other guys whose pickup trucks were dragging the ground. You remember those people? They're, they're, they took the shocks and everything out, so like the wheels were almost touching. The, and, and those were the ones that usually had amazing speaker systems in their car, and you could hear them coming about 20 miles away like... Yeah, and then you have the hard rocker people, and I, I was back in the day of the big hair bands. Anybody remember the big hair bands? Bon Jovi, and Poison, and all these people. And, and the, these guys wore big hair like women, you know, and just uh, but, but tight jeans. And then the, the rockers would stomp around the stage without a shirt on, just stomping around angrily, thrashing the guitars, apparently mad because someone stole their shirts. But, uh, but people would identify young people would identify based on their group. And I watched and noticed, even as a young person in high school, that people would begin to conduct themselves based on the identity that they were embracing. Girls that were younger, and I remember them in grade school being good, decent girls, I would watch them begin to hang out with a crowd and identify in their dress, identify in their appearance, identify in their actions, identify in their relationships with a group of people, and then it would begin to affect their conduct, and they would do things that would surprise me, having known them for many years. Because once they begin to embrace an identity, they embrace this as who they are, at least for this period of time. And it begins to affect their conduct, and they act according to their identity. Now, the reason that I'm preaching this today is because I am very keenly aware that both God and our adversary, Satan, are very interested in influencing our identity. Because whatever our identity is, what we believe that our identity is, is going to affect the way we conduct ourselves and the way that we live in this present world. Let me say again that both God and our adversary is interested in influencing our identity. If you don't believe that, if you look through the Bible, you notice that oftentimes when God had an encounter with a human being, their name would be changed. There's nothing more profoundly an identifier than a person's name. But when God had an encounter with Abram, 
whose name Abram meant high father, he said, your name no longer will be Abram, but I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God was saying, when you have an encounter with me, I'm going to change your identity to match your destiny. Sarai, your name means princess. But from now on, you shall be known as Sarah, which means the mother of nations. Because the plans that I have for you are not going to work based on the identity that you've been living in and operating under so far. And an encounter with God, he is interested in changing the identity to match your destiny. You may remember Jacob in the Bible. He was given a name that's not too cool. How would you like it if your mother had named you cheater, deceiver? Deceiver, get up, it's breakfast time. Cheater, you need to clean your room right now. You're going to start to take that identity into yourself and act according to it. And this man named Jacob, we see in the Bible, that he embraced this identity and lived as a deceiver, deceiving, amen, deceiving his father, deceiving his father-in-law, deceiving people in his life until finally he had an encounter with God. You remember the story? He wrestled with an angel all night long. The angel said, release me, please. He said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And then the angel blessed him, and part of the blessing was this. You will no longer be called deceiver, but from henceforth your name will be Israel, which means one that has power with God. Are you getting the point yet? God's interested in affecting your identity. Peter, Simon Peter, before he met Jesus, was known as Simon. Simon means to hear. And we see that Peter was a shifty kind of person who moved based on whatever he heard. But the Lord said, no longer are you going to be referred to as Simon or to hear. But from now on, I'm going to call you Peter or Cephas, which means a rock. You're going to be a solid foundation upon whom the church is going to be built because your old name doesn't match your destiny and your old identity doesn't match what God has planned for your life. And when you come in contact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, part of his plan is to get you to reject the identity that the devil's tried to plant in your spirit and embrace the identity. Come on, somebody. You going to help me preach today? Don't make me have to go old school on you guys. God's not going to leave you the same. How many are glad about that? Amen. Some of you, when you came to Jesus, your life was a mess. You had a lot of addictions and issues, people you had hurt, and you were continuing to do so. But when the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in, he changed your nature. And as the Bible says, all things have become new. All things are passed away. All things, all things are become new. So you can't step into your destiny with your old identity. It will hinder you. There are certain things that are a part of who we were that have to be released. 
in order for God's purpose to be accomplished in us. But I told you that not only is God interested in affecting our identity, but also our adversary, Satan, the devil, in the word of God, we understand that he seeks to impose an identity on us as well. Let me give you a little example here. The first story in scripture, the story of Adam and Eve. In that story, we see that sin started with temptation. The serpent beguiled Eve. In the garden, she did what she was told not to do, and her disobedience led to guilt. Sin starts with temptation. It leads to guilt. Another word for guilt would be conviction. That sense and that feeling that I've done wrong and I need to make it right. But here's what I want you to listen to. If you miss this point, you're going to miss everything that, I'm, uh, that, that this, the Lord has put on my heart and my spirit today. Is that once temptation starts and once, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, once temptation uh, has led to sin, sin leads to guilt, then Satan steps in and seeks to accuse you and he wants to take it up to the next level let me read for you in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 it says of Adam and Eve it says and they were both naked the man and his wife and were not ashamed there was no shame because they had not sinned but in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10 it says and he said I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. This is after they sinned. And I hid myself. Adam said, when I sinned, then I was afraid. I was naked. See, before when he was naked, he was not ashamed. But he was saying, now I am ashamed. And I hid myself. And he said, the Lord said, who told thee? that thou wast naked. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Verse 11 there, I want you to pay attention. It says that the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Everybody with me? Somebody told them. Somebody introduced them to the idea that they were naked. And nakedness is associated and connected with shame. So please understand that someone had to inform them that they were naked. Someone had to introduce shame into their life. Guilt is a natural, natural response to breaking the law of God. That's what happens so that we will repent and reconcile and get things right. But the next stage beyond guilt is shame. And that is when the accuser begins to tell you stuff about yourself. Did you know that you don't need to worry about what the devil can do to you? What you need to worry about is what the devil says to you. And are you guys awake today? You guys are going to have to give me a little bit more than that. You don't have to worry about the devil doing anything to you. He's not going to push your car off a cliff. He's not going to throw cancer off up in your body. 
But what you have to be concerned about is what the devil says to you, particularly about you. Because when the devil starts to say things to you about you based on what you did wrong, the the end result is you become fearful of God and you hide yourself. This is the fundamental difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is a God thing. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is a product of guilt. And it says, I've got to make things right with God because I did wrong. But condemnation is from the devil and it comes eventually through our own heart uh, where it's not that I did wrong but that I am wrong. Not that that I failed but that I am a failure. Because the Bible says in Revelations chapter 10, it tells us about the nature of the devil. It says right here that I heard a loud voice from heaven. It's Revelation 12, 10 saying, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuseth them before our God day and night. The devil's goal is to be the accuser of the brethren. So anybody here besides me ever messed up? Anybody ever done something you're like, Thinking later that night, oh my goodness, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I take that? Why did I go there? Why did I look at that? Come on, somebody, we can be honest here with each other. That's guilt. Amen. And the reality is, even when you're born again, God's plan is that you not sin. But the Bible says, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So as sinners, we come to the Lord and we ask for his forgiveness. We talked about the remedy for guilt four weeks ago. And that is not only confession to God, but confession to those that we have hurt as well. Uh, Not just confession, but making it right, paying them back. That's what the Bible teaches. Amen? However... Once we messed up, then the devil really puts on his work clothes. He puts on his surgical gloves. He puts on his coat, and he comes in. Amen. The enemy. The enemy then says, now I have an opportunity to accuse them to themselves and remind them that they messed up. Because this is the point right here, my brothers and sisters, is when it shifts from guilt to shame, when it shifts from conviction to condemnation, it's no longer about my conduct. Now it's about my identity. Not that you sinned, but that you are a sinner. Not that you failed. That's what guilt says. Condemnation says you are a failure. Conviction says I did bad. Condemnation says I am bad bad and the devil's goal and objective in life is to get you to identify yourselves with the conduct that's contradictory to the word of God because the devil the enemy he understands some leadership principles one leadership principle that I teach is you should always be actively working yourself out of a job 
What does that mean? You should be replacing yourself. You should be training people to do what you do. Everybody understand that as a leadership principle. Well, the devil understands that principle too. He doesn't want to have to be the accuser of you day and night. He wants to train you to accuse yourself. This is what shame is. And what does guilt do? Guilt says, I did wrong. I made a mistake. I need to get things right with God. But shame causes you to be depressed and feel badly about yourself and think about yourself in a negative way and in a negative light and think that it's impossible that God could forgive you and it's impossible that God would love you. Listen to me right now. That is not an operation of the Spirit of God. That is not an operation of God that is Satan working in your heart to condemn yourself. The word condemnation comes from the word condemn, which means there's a verdict that's been reached. The verdict is you're guilty. The ver verdict is you're bad. The verdict is you, you can't uh, uh, be salvaged. This is the verdict of the enemy that he puts into a person's spirit to try to cause them, uh, come on somebody, to try to cause them to condemn themselves. Uh, Rather than it being about conduct, failure, mistakes, and sin, the attention turns to me. I'm bad. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I got issues. And that's when people begin to identify as an adulterer, a fornicator. That's who I am. That's when people begin to identify as a thief, a drunkard, an extortioner, a reviler. The Bible says, none of these shall have part in the kingdom of God. People begin to identify based on what they did. Let me just share this with you. A lot of times people begin to identify based on what was done to them as well. In my studies, one thing that I've discovered in people who have gender identity issues or uh, sexual gender identity issues, many of them had things done to them when they were children. And because that happened to them, then they begin to identify because the accuser of the brethren says, because this happened, this is not just something that happened, but this is who you are. And it shifts from conduct focused to identity Focus, my God have mercy. That's why it's so clear to me that it doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter what you've been through, doesn't matter what happened to you in your life, and it doesn't matter what you've done. God's plan is that you be born again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because when a person is born again, Old things are passed away. Everybody say dead. Passed away is fancy language for he died. We try to make it nice. Yes, he passed last night. A gallstone, a basketball, what are you talking about? What did he pass? He's dead. He is dead. The Bible says old things are passed away. That means my previous and former identity that was associated with my old conduct is dead. And all things are become new. So when a person is born again, I promise you that then the devil 
amps it up and says, no, this is not who you are. That's who you are. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? This is your identity. And he seeks to remind you of your past. That's why the Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark because I can't get to where God wants me to go if I'm holding on to what was in the past. That's why God said, I got to change your name because your destiny doesn't fit with your old identity. There's got to be a new identity for you to step into the purpose and the anointing that God has for your life. And you got to recognize this in silence. The voice of the enemy, who's the accuser who uses shame to try to get you to embrace an identity that's contrary to God's purpose for your life. And I'm going to show you how to do that today, all right? You guys with me? Are you ready to silence the devil? When he starts to reinsert temptation into your life and give you the impression this is who you are, this is what you do, man, this is your nature. And you say, no, that's my old nature. That's why the Bible says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. And when the devil tries to remind you of your identity, you've got to say, that's my old identity and it's dead. It's already in a grave. You can't resurrect my old identity. I've got a new identity and it's in Christ Jesus and I'm righteous because he was righteous. And even when I slip and even when I make up, mess up, that's not my identity. My identity is new in Christ Jesus. Yeah, when you do stumble, when you do fall, when you do slip, the accuser comes in. See, I told you. I told you that's who you are. And you stand up and say, shut your mouth, devil. Come on, somebody. I'm who I am through Jesus Christ. I'm born again. I'm a new creature. That old stuff passed away. All things have become new. I want you to catch this now because this is critical. This is critical and important for you to understand what Jesus did in order to make salvation available to you. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, you guys got to stay with me right now. It says, and he is the head of the body. Who's that? Jesus Christ. The church who is the beginning. Jesus Christ is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the first one to be born from the dead. Nobody else has been born from the dead. Sorry, Hinduism. Nobody's been born from the dead. Once you're dead, that's it. You don't get another shot. We don't believe in reincarnation. What about deja vu? Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You were born from life. You were born from the womb of your mother. You were born and it was initiation. But Jesus was born from the dead. But he's not the only one that was going to be born from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. I want you to get this point right now. Jesus Christ came to this earth to show us how to be born again. He came to show us how to be born from the dead. What do you mean, pastor? I mean in order to be born again, you have to die first and be born from the dead. 
just to prove my point to you, let's look at this next verse in Romans. It talks about, uh, this, this next verse talks about that Jesus Christ plan was to be the firstborn among many brethren. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 29. Verse 29. Sorry about that. Verse, can you pull it 29? Is it available? Let me see if I can quote it. Firstborn according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Is it coming? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's pretty good quoting. I got it right. <laughs> That's the old Bible quizzing days right there. Whom he did foreknow, that means you, that means me. God had plans for you before you were born. He predestinated, his plan was that you would be conformed to the image of his son so that you would be like Jesus Christ. So what? So that he, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we would be brothers with Jesus Christ because he's the firstborn from the dead, but you're going to be another brother that's born from the dead. talking to you right now because the devil's a liar. Somebody messed up in this place before, even after you were saved, and the devil told you your destiny's finished, but the devil's a liar, and you need to stop listening to that fool. That's right, I call him a fool. He's not a man. He's demonic. You need to stop listening to him. God's plans for you, come on, listen to me right now. God's plans for you are still in place, but he can't do what he wants to do in you if you're embracing the old identity. You got to be born from the dead. You got to be born from the dead. Now let's look at this. How did this happen? How was Jesus Christ born from the dead? Earlier I read to you uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Listen, listen to this. This was our text today. It says, For he hath made him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made in the righteousness of God in him. I want you to keep that verse because I want to toggle to another verse and then go back. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. I'm telling you, at 2 in the morning, God dropped this into my spirit. It was an understanding that I've never had before. Hebrews chapter 12 and 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ never committed sin, so he never had to deal with guilt. But what did he do? The Bible says he became sin. He identified with sin and experienced the shame, condemnation aspect for you and for I. And the Bible says, doesn't mention the pain, it doesn't mention the nails, it doesn't mention the bloodshed, but it says that he despised the shame. 
The most traumatic part of the cross is when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe it was because Jesus, because of the shame and condemnation of identifying as a sinner, felt what you and I feel when we experience condemnation and we feel like God's walked away from us and God has no concern about us. And Jesus said, I can feel what you're feeling. He stepped over the guilt. He stepped over conviction and he experienced condemnation on the cross, experienced shame on the cross because he realized that I got to put this identity to death in order to be born again. Your condemnation-based identity has to die in order for you to be born again. And when Jesus came up out of the tomb, he had made all things new. He was born again. He had been buried. He had died. He had been buried, and he rose again. And when he came up out of the tomb, he left in the tomb a dead identity that was based on the shame of the sins of all mankind. Let me tell you today, in order for you to be what God wants you to be, you can't become that person and hold on to the identity based on your conduct, based on what you've done, based on what has been done to you. You've got to be born from the dead. The only way you can be born from the dead is you've got to let that old identity be buried with Jesus Christ. Why, why does the Bible say the Bible says that when we were repent, that we are crucified with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and crucified that old shame-based identity on a tree so that he come, could come forth having conquered death, hell, and the grave and being the firstborn from the dead. And so when you come to the Lord Jesus, repentance in actuality is this, repentance is saying, I am putting to death that identity that I've embraced based on what I've done and based what the enemy has convinced me that I am, and I'm putting it to death. See, the problem is there's people who want to come to Jesus, but they want to hold on to their old identity. This is who I am. But the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have to die. And you can't step into your destiny unless you walk by the cross, which is where you say, God, I reject the identity that has been whispered in my spirit. I'm putting it to death so that I can be a new creature in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, Rome, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, we'll go through. Verse 3. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 2. The Bible indicates uh, in verse 6 that when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ in baptism. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we would no longer serve sin. Chapter 6 verse 6. Henceforth we would no longer serve sin. There had to be 
that point. That's why the new birth experience is so important. And there's people like, well, let's just go down and let's say the sinner's prayer and let's shake the preacher's hand, let's sign a card, and then we're a part, we're a member of the church. But the Bible says you have to be born of the water and of the spirit because in order to step into your new identity, the old one has to die. And the old one can't die until you truly repent. And the old one may have died, but it's still attached to you until you're buried in waters of baptism. And just like Jesus went into the tomb and came out as a new creature, we go into the tomb, the waters, the watery grave of baptism with our old identity still attached to us, and we come out with a new identity in Jesus Christ. Ah, ah, ah. Somebody said, why do I still struggle with temptation even though I've been baptized? That's because the devil's still at work and he's still whispering in your spirit and reconnecting you to that old identity. But you got to reckon yourself dead to that old nature, dead to that old man, dead to that old corruption and a new creature through the power of Jesus Christ. In closing, this is the final thing I want to share with you today. And that is, I told you, I promised you I would show you how to do it. I would give you an understanding of how to do this and to embrace your born again identity. You got to reject the accuser. You've got to embrace your new identity. You've got to reckon yourself dead unto sin and alive unto God. Say, even though I still am living in the flesh, I am righteous. Not because I've been perfect, but because he was righteous. And now my identity's in him. My identity is in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean I bat a thousand and hit the ball out of the park every time. Amen. That doesn't mean I never stumble, never scrape my knee. But what it means is I'm going to understand that this is an action and it requires repentance. I'm not going to let the devil convince me that this is an identity and this is who I am. And I don't want to come to the presence of God and I hide myself and I have fear that God would reject me. Let me listen, let me get this point to you right now. Adam and Eve, the Bible says that Adam said, when I heard your voice, I hid myself because I was naked and I was afraid. Hmm. Afraid? What were you afraid of? You afraid God's going to slap you in the mouth? He was afraid. You got to get this point. He was afraid that because of what he had done that God did not want a relationship with him and God wouldn't love him. That's what he was afraid of. That's why he was hiding himself from God. This is what shame does when it becomes about you instead of the mistake you made. It, becomes, it reaches the point where it's like you begin to fear that I can't be different God can't forgive me. God can't love me. Anybody else been there before? What do I do about that? How do I take that step of being truly born again? How do I release that old identity when here I'm stuck hiding myself because I'm afraid? Bible says in, in 1 John, the Bible lets us know that 
perfect love. Let, let me read this passage to you. It's real important. This is my final thing today. 1 John 4 and 16. 1 John 4 and 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Um, now, you probably read that through your Bible and you just pass over and don't even think about it. But this is the key right here. Let me read this sentence to you about three or four more times until you understand the meaning of this passage. And we have, now all the rest that we're going to read is based on this passage. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. <laughs> we reached the point where we understood the love that God had for us, and we embraced and believed the reality that God loved us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. Now, you've got to understand what this is saying. What does herein mean? Herein means, based on what I just said, your love is made perfect. The word perfect means completed, finished, accomplished. In what? Go back to verse 16. Herein is our love made perfect when you know and believe the love that God hath to you. When you don't know it and you don't believe the love that God hath for you, then the love is not complete or perfect. Look at verse 17 again. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, oh my goodness, so are we <laughs> in this world. What does the day of judgment mean? The word judgment means accusation, crisis. In the day the accuser shows up, the thing that keeps me from listening to the accuser and accepting the message of the accuser is that I know and believe that God loves me. Yeah. And because I'm in Christ as he is, so are we in the world. What does that mean? When the accuser shows up and starts to judge and point fingers and illustrate and highlight your mistakes, you step back and it's ineffective and you remain bold in your faith. You remain bold in your commitment to Christ Jesus. You remain bold in your calling. Listen to me right now. I am sick and tired of people walking away from their calling because they made a mistake and then they start listening to the devil. The problem is love hasn't been perfected and you don't know and believe how much God loves you because when you know and you believe how much God loves you, you recognize that as he is, so am I. God is righteous, so I am righteous because I understand the love that he has for me. Look at verse 18. I'm about to jump out of my skin right now. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no hiding 
in love. There is no condemnation in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. Fear stretches you out. Fear runs you out of the presence of God. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The reason you're still struggling, come on somebody, with that voice of condemnation screaming in your spirit is you don't understand the love of God yet. The reason every time you make a mistake, the devil is able to convince you that you need to turn in your car and walk away from what God's called you to be and to do is because you don't understand the love of God. Listen to me. I'm not giving anybody a license to sin. God's plan is that you would not sin. But the reality is you need to understand that my righteousness is not based on what I did. My righteousness is based on who he is. Oh, come on, somebody praise him right now. He's worthy. You got to get it. We started trying to teach you when you were in Sunday school. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Come on now. The devil's a liar. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. So remember, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Remember the, the verse that says, Jesus loves me when I'm good. When I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad. Though it makes him very sad. Yes, Jesus loves. See, the point is, if you miss that, you're vulnerable to the devil. If you don't understand that he loves you regardless of the errors and the stumbles and the slips. And once you get an understanding of the love of God, it will empower you to live in victory above sin. But if love's not perfect yet, fear is still in your heart. Fear that causes you to step away and hide and cower. Fear that gives the enemy an audience in your life to accuse you against yourself. But perfect love casteth out fear. So that lets me know that love and fear are opposites. Like darkness and light are opposites. Amen. Whenever light steps in, Darkness disappears. You know, some people believe darkness is not even a thing. They don't even call it darkness. They call it absence of light. Because when light steps in, darkness is cast out. And when perfect love steps in, fear is cast out. Some people are cowering. Cowering at an angry God. Ready to slap them to next Tuesday. But the reality is, guilty people become repeat offenders. Condemnation puts you on a pathway, an identity of continuous sin. It's only when you recognize He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us. How He loves us. Musicians could come forward. I want to tell you right now, 
The plan of Christ is that you would walk in victory. But if you're reaching the point that you assume that victory for you means I master by my willpower these issues in my life, then you are endeavoring to do it through the power of the flesh and completing through the flesh what God began in the spirit. Listen to me. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation, no shame, Romans 8, 1, to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. No condemnation. The Bible doesn't say there is no condemnation to he that has the greatest willpower. The Bible doesn't say there is no condemnation to them who lived perfect their whole life. But the Bible says there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who are leaning on Jesus trusting the hands of the almighty God. In just a moment, I want you to play that song, He Loves Us, because this is the pathway, this is the key to victory in Christ Jesus. You have to understand the perfect love that casteth out all fear. And when love walks in, when you understand the love of Jesus, all of a sudden, the voice of the enemy is silenced. Condemnation can't work on your, in, against you anymore. And you can live in victory. How much did Jesus love you? He loved you so much that he would die for you. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Human reasoning says... For a good man, someone might die. For somebody who's perfect, somebody would die. The Bible says Jesus proved his love. Jesus' love didn't start when you straightened up. Jesus' love didn't start when you made your decision to follow him. Jesus' love started 2,000 years ago when he was on a cross and he saw you. Ignoring his call, ignoring his plea, ignoring the pull of his spirit. He saw you living however you wanted to live and doing whatever you were wanting to do. The Bible says it was at that point that his love was extended. And it's folly and it's a tool of the enemy to get you to assume that God's love is predicated on your conduct. God loved you when you were a sinner. And God loves you today. And once you get an understanding of that perfect love, which means understanding and believing the love that God has for you then you can walk in victory you can be an overcomer you can live above sin because he loves us but what about what I did he loves us <laughs> what about my weaknesses he loves you 
What about my stupidity? Doesn't seem like anybody else does. Well, it really doesn't matter. He loves you. When you embrace the love of Jesus Christ, when you recognize the unconditional love of your heavenly Father, then you can say, I want to be identified with Him instead of what I've been identified before. Let's stand to our feet right now. He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. I need some altar workers to come up to the front here right now. Those that will help us pray today. He loves us. us know the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west so hath God removed our transgressions from us that means our sins our failures our weaknesses when we ask for God's forgiveness he removes them so far from us that you can't even see them another place the Bible says in so many words that God takes our sins and he throws them deep into an ocean of forgetfulness that's the beauty of God's forgiveness. God forgives and forgets. He puts it away, never to be held against you again. And in just a moment, if you recognize and feel the love of God in this place, I want to encourage you to come forward. This call is for, is for people that are new believers. This call is for people who've never made a step of faith. This call is for people who are long-term believers, been living for God for years but you want to get God's forgiveness and you want to walk in victory, I want you to come forward right now in the name of Jesus because God's forgiveness, His blood is flowing in this place. His love is flowing in this house right now. That's it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We're going to pray together in Jesus' name. I think it would be awesome if all of us would gather together for a few moments right now and experience God's love and forgiveness we can walk in a new identity and be one of those that are born from the dead. Hallelujah. In the context of the environment of the love of God right now, we're going to all pray a prayer of forgiveness. We're going to ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us for our sins and our failures and our mistakes. Can we all do that in this place right now just for a moment? Jesus, I want you to forgive me today, Lord God, for living my own life and just kind of ignoring you and just doing my own thing. I forgive, I ask you to forgive me, Lord Jesus, for people that have hurt and things I've done wrong, Lord God. I ask you to forgive me for breaking your sovereign law, Lord God, living life according to my own design. Jesus, I want you to cleanse me and forgive me and wash me. Take away the sins, Lord God, so that I can live in victory. God, forgive me so I can be born again. Forgive me, Lord God, so I can be clean. 
forgive me so I can walk in victory and not have condemnation following me around. I accept your love. I accept your sacrifice. I accept the blood of the Lamb. I accept the cross of Calvary. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for new life. Thank you for fresh hope.
to continue to pray. Amen. But there's something critical that if you want to experience that new birth and you want to experience that new identity, hallelujah, it happens through water baptism. It happens through that. Amen. It happens when God fills you with his spirit. So if you're at a point right now, let's continue to pray as a church. If you're at a point where you feel God leading you to say it's time to bury the old man, you can do that today. Amen. You can let that happen today and God can give you that new life and that new opportunity. Right now, let's pray together that God would speak to all of us, that there are ways and means by which we can become that new creature that he has called us to be in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Hallelujah. There's plenty still praying that want God to do that work, to do that thing in them. Hallelujah. Jesus, I need you right now to move in my life. God, make that choice. Make that commitment. The call is here for you to do that. The call is here, church, for you to do that, to step out in faith and to say, God, do that work. Almighty God, oh Jesus. Make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of the dust.
grateful for this message from the Lord that we heard today. Amen. Go in God. Greet one another. Thank you, Team One, for setting up. And Team One is going to, and the rest of you that can help are going to help tear down and break down with that momentarily. So please pick up your children at our Life Kids Center. And if you're here for the first time and you're here for the second time, we want you to go to our uh, pastor's reception in the conference room. God bless you. Love one, love one another. And most importantly, love God. Amen.